0: What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is
1: WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. The summer of football. All you can ask for is another opportunity to play this game. It burns in me. On ESPN 1000. We don't know how many we got. I don't know how many I got. Make it count, boys. Mahomes. Flushed out again.
0: Turning the corner.
1: Fires downfield. Caught. Touchdown. Only Mahomes. You throw to score and run to win. Here's Safe Quad Buckley. And it's up to. 20. St. Clyde for six. The summer of football at oh, Here's a quick throw to Miller. Good throw. Touchdown! Oh, to Armstrong. Run. Book five. Book to the end zone! Touchdown! In book! Burrow's got time. Launching for the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Terrence Marshall. The summer of football with Jonathan Hood. Yay! Yeah. On Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app.
0: It is a summer of football right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Jonathan Hood with you. Every night we give you something football, something college, something pro, something fantasy. Tonight we talk to our friend Brad Edwards from College Game Day on ESPN Radio. Also, you can find his work on ESPN.com as we we'll get closer and closer to the college football season, the scheduled college football season. Brad Edwards joins us here on ESPN 1000. Hello, Brad.
2: Hey, that was the operative word, the scheduled start because uh it feels like we're miles away i mean normally late july we're like it's almost here you know we'd be in the middle of conference media days right now and about a week away from players reporting for camp but um yeah it it just feels so much different now
0: so what's your gut feeling do you think that we start on time? We see some of these non-power, smaller conferences, um, the SWAC moving to the spring, a couple other ones considering spring football for the college football program. So, what about the Power Five? What's your what's your gut feeling?
2: Yeah, my gut feeling is the Power Five won't start on time uh, unless there's just dramatic improvement around the country with the virus numbers over the next two weeks. I, mean, I don't even know for sure, like what the, what the drop-dead date is for when they would have to make that decision about that opening weekend. Uh, but it just, it, it just seems really unlikely at this point. Um, it seems like while the, the ACC, Big 12, and SEC have apparently not completely given up hope on a 12-game regular season, I think everyone's thinking more in the direction of it probably being nine or ten games, and if that's the case, um, it certainly seems that the prudent thing to do would be to to push back the, the start a week or two, and you know, give yourself just a little bit more time. And uh, right now, I think that's that's what everybody needs. They just they need time to allow for for things to go in the right direction. And if that happens, you can feel more comfortable with the decision to try to play football.
0: Brad, with uncertainty comes change at times, and. Uh, we just talked to Feinbaum just recently, um, uh, his thoughts about Mark Emmert, and he, he's looking for something new. He wants Mark Emmert out, and he wants to have something new. And I, this is a time board at... This time in 2020, it'd be great to have a commissioner of college football to reign over, if nothing else, the Power Five to make a decision, because it feels like just these individual commissioners are making their decision. Big Ten, Pac-12 said that they're just going to play just conference games. Meanwhile, the teams in the South are uh, waiting for something. They're waiting for the for, for COVID-19 to go away or whatever. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on someone to overlook? especially these Power Five conferences, uh, to, to rule with an iron fist?
2: Yeah, look, I think that um, it, it sounds really good uh, in principle, and there will be a lot of advantages to it. The, the issue with it is that you're asking some people who have a lot of power to give some of that up, and, and I'm mainly talking about conference commissioners and maybe to a little bit lesser extent some of the university presidents who are very involved in the decision-making right now, would they be willing to hand over that power? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that's something that you'd, you'd have to wait and see. I mean, we know that uh, look, the Big Ten has just made a, a change at commissioner. Um, obviously, uh, the ACC is about to see. So you've, you've had some uh, in, in Jim Delaney and John Swafford, some guys who have, have been around for a long, long time who are, who are being replaced and, uh, and, and I think that opens up the door to change. Um, not to say that those guys were, you know, completely uh, resistant to change, uh, but certainly the longer you've, you've done something, um, the, the harder it is to change. So I, I think, you know, with new faces, uh, obviously SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey has not been in that role for, for a long time. Um, I, I, I think maybe it could be more likely to happen than it would have been, you know, five years ago. Um, but but, but I, I still think it's easier said than done. Uh, but but certainly, yeah, this is one of those situations, and when we seem to have them every couple of years, where we can look at it and say, you know, this sport will be a whole lot better off if one person could just make a decision for everyone, instead of everyone, you know, just kind of falling back on whatever seems to be in the best interest for for their school or for their conference.
0: Are you running for that office? <laughs>
2: Depends on how much it pays. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there there is a threshold, right? Where where the. The compensation makes it worth all the hate mail and death threats you're going to (laughs) get. Brad
0: Edwards from College Game Day on ESPN Radio and ESPN.com with me, Jonathan Hood, for the summer of football on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app on Notre Dame, right here on the home of the Irish, ESPN 1000, Notre Dame with Brian Kelly. Someone was talking to me the other day about Brian Kelly, and I said that, you know, when Brian Kelly took the job, I I thought, okay, maybe this is going to be short-lived because we're seeing red face uh, Brian Kelly. We see him get in players' faces. And I said, you know, at some point, he's going to have to grow up as a head coach. And I meant that, you know, I meant that sternly. You, you, at some point, you have to be able to talk to uh, the student athletes, the players in the locker room, and get your point across without being that guy, especially in 2020. But I think that Brian Kelly's grown up before our very eyes, at least in in out in public, uh, Brad. And I think that he's been very steady in the job at Notre Dame. How would you characterize Kelly's time, and whether or not he's ever going to win a national championship there in South Bend?
2: Well, I'm not sure if he's going to win a national championship, but I I, I think you're right at least at least from the the, the public perception, um, and and I would throw myself into that mix. I I I have not talked to people inside Notre Dame as to you know whether he's changed behind closed doors, uh, but certainly you know about five years ago he he looked like a guy who was on the brink. I mean, certainly they they had some. Uh, some seasons, uh, especially one that um, that you know were not up to the Notre Dame standard, and and you, it, it kind of had the feeling, and maybe this was part of his frustration or whatever we were seeing outwardly from him, is that maybe there was a desperation because the success had come so early. You know, he he had that magic uh, third year uh, at Notre Dame, which which so many of their great coaches have had in the past, got to that national championship game, and and obviously that game didn't go very well um but then the expectation was that okay they're only going to build from there and they're going to be a consistent factor and they weren't and I, I i think that they were enough years removed from that national championship appearance at that point that it kind of felt like it might be slipping away and that his time might be running out and and uh you know since that point you're right like his demeanor on the sideline has changed and so you know whether that's just what we see or, or whether that's a new Brian Kelly, I don't know, um, but it's a much better look. And I, I think his teams have responded. You know, it's he has been so consistent, really, if you look at it. Um, I, I don't know how many people uh, nationally, if you were to ask okay, who are the 10 best coaches in the country are going to put Brian Kelly on that list. But I, I think he should be. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that um, most of them would leave him off, but it's one of those where if you're first asked, you know, do you think Brian Kelly's one of the 10 best coaches in college football? Um, you probably hesitate for a while and at least at least get out some paper and start putting names down and see what you think. But uh, to me, there's so many challenges involved with that job. And when you look at the way that he's righted the ship and how consistent he's been, you know, kind of in that 10-win range. And I, I realize that, that Notre Dame old-timers – want more than that they want national championships um but but it's it's a different world than it than it was and i'm not saying you can't win it there but it, it it's never going to be like it was before and so under the circumstances i, I think he's been remarkably consistent and, and in a good way obviously um you know winning uh winning you know right around double digit games uh, most years
0: you know the the Big 10 with Ohio State you know i'm sure that the buckeyes will reload and be ready to go especially with a really solid offensive line for this upcoming season and their defense will be very good as well but i'm excited about protection uh for the quarterback this year for ohio state but i but this is a team Brad, without Chase Young and Okuda and Arnett and uh, J.K. Dobbins, so there's about ten Buckeyes that were drafted going to the next level. Uh, uh, so, uh, what are your thoughts on the Buckeyes repeating in the Big Ten? Is that a possibility?
2: Oh, I, I mean, I think it's it's a probability. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to say they can't be beaten. Um, if if it if it were a normal season with uh, full stadiums and all that, then I would say you know Penn State in a whiteout situation, uh, would have a decent chance to beat them this season. Um, But if they get to play Penn State, you know, in-state college, without all those fans there, it it certainly changes the game. Uh, I think Wisconsin showed last year that in a one-game scenario, they can play well enough to beat Ohio State. Um, I, I do think last year's team was one of the greatest college football teams to not win a national championship. Um, they they were really really good and obviously, you know, didn't end up lifting the trophy at the end. And and so I I don't think they'll be quite as good as they were last year, but that doesn't mean that they still might not be the best team in the country. And uh, the reason why they might not, not might not be quite as good is because you mentioned what they lost on defense. Mm-hmm. But we are in an era in college football now, and I think in football in general, uh, but but certainly in college, where offense has past defense. And and you know, Jonathan, you and I grew up in the in the whole you know defense wins championship you know mindset, and sure. and that's it, it, it. Took a lot to get me out of that mode of thinking to be willing to bend to the idea that okay it's it's now it's now more important to have a great offense than it is to have a great defense now you still need a good defense and Ohio State will have that because they have talent even if it's going to be you know less experienced talent but offensively they're going to be special um, and you mentioned the offensive line and and you know obviously with, with Justin fields um, you know probably going to have a drop-off at running back um, but but at the same time um, They've got talent. And, and so by our metrics, uh, we, we think Ohio State is clearly the best offense in the country. And, you know, we, we've seen some high-profile games in the last few years uh, with really good offensive teams against teams that rated and, and ranked very highly defensively. And just these days, it, it's, it's hard for a really good defense to slow down a really good offense. And so, for that reason, I would say that I would say that the Buckeyes are not only the clear favorite in the big ten but certainly one of the top three favorites to win the national title
0: here 's something for you brad and i 'm going to combine two questions into one, and it one of them might be ridiculous, but this is who I am, and this is our conversations uh, that we have so <laughs> th- th- does the computer take into effect the possibility of no fans or twenty five percent capacity because in some of these in some of these Power Five uh, cities that we are going to watch college football, there's a possibility that if we do get games, it's not going to be the pageantry of over 100,000 people, 70,000, 80,000 people. And I think that more so than any sport, the college athlete needs a little push from the fan base or uh, that, that fan base that's against them, and that motivates them as well. So. Uh, is that something that is uh, in the in the computer system uh, to consider? And how does that make you look at the rest of these teams? Are you still looking at um, Are you still looking at the college football landscape based on what you know versus the possibility of playing without fans?
2: Yeah. So the the computer, as you call it, and I think an example would be our FPI at ESPN Football mm-hmm. Power Index. Um, it, it's going to consider whatever you program it to consider, and so you can choose to ignore the fact that the stadiums won't be full capacity or you can include it. And we're going to make an adjustment for it. Um, I, I think there will still be some sort of home advantage, uh, especially in games where there's a, a longer amount of travel. Um, I, off the top of my head, for example, I don't even know whether Nebraska and Rutgers you know, play each other this year. But, but you know those teams are in the same conference, but they're a long way away. And if one were to travel to the other, Okay, there's some. Maybe it's not the point where you call it jet lag, mm-hmm. um, but 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 we have enough data to show that there is an effect from from long or uh, an effect from long travel on performance of teams, and so uh, that would work its way into some sort of home field advantage. But it wouldn't be because of the crowd; it would be because of uh, because of kind of travel fatigue uh, on the part of the visiting team. And so that's a real thing. But but certainly um, home field is not going to be, you know, what we typically know it to be. You know, it's, it's interesting. In fact, I haven't looked at it in quite a while, but I, I know that when the, the European soccer first started back, um, I don't know, over a month ago, Germany was the first country to restart. Um, for whatever reason, home field is a major factor in professional soccer. Uh, I played soccer all my life and for the life of me I cannot tell you why that would be. I don't know why the crowd would affect a, a soccer game. I mean it might influence the uh, a few calls by the referee here and there but 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 still it seems like it shouldn't matter but for whatever reason it does. But when they started back and they were playing in empty stadiums, the the records of the home teams were almost 180 degrees from what they were when they were playing in front of in front of fans. And so I don't know if 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 that effect will be as exaggerated for college football, because it sure seems like there will be some fans. And by the way, did, did I see today that Syracuse announced that it will have no fans at home games because of uh, you know mandate of the governor? And and on the same day, Texas said that it won't have any more than fifty thousand fans in the stadium. Like, that, like there's an example of this disconnect you're talking about. Like, yeah. and I realize that a college football commissioner can't control what the governor of a state does, but still, like that's a that's a big deal um, as far as what, whether you're talking about zero or fifty thousand. But back to the point of home field advantage in, in soccer, there was definitely an effect of of having no fans in the stands and home field went away and went away to the point where statistically it started to look like home field disadvantage. I I don't think that's real, but, but yeah, it's, but here's the other thing about it though. These big time teams, uh, the Ohio States and Notre Dame's of the world, they're used to playing in front of a packed house, whether it's home or road. And when you're, when you're that type of team, you love road games too, because, because there's nothing like, I've heard so many players say this. there's nothing like silencing a hundred thousand people. And so they love those opportunities to go play in big games in the road. And if you go into a, a place like Penn State and there are just no fans there, I think it affects both teams because cause it's, just, it's just weird no matter which team you're on.
0: Yes, it is true uh, that Governor Cuomo from New York said that uh, all the, whether it's uh, Army, Buffalo, Syracuse, a handful of FCS programs, they are going to play in front of an empty stadium, no fans allowed. That is correct
2: yeah crazy great that, but and so i i guess at the moment that doesn't affect the nfl because they're in jersey is that
0: yes <laughs> yeah that's right that's, that's governor murphy so he's got to make that decision yeah. yes uh but again as, as we talked about before crazy times Um uh, when it comes to sports and COVID-19. Um, lastly, and I appreciate your time, Brad. I want to get your thoughts on, and again, it's, it's, I, I'm asking you to predict the, to predict the future, but it's something that I think has got to be a front burner question for the NCAA on whether or not we even have bowl season. And, and, and then on top of that, like, what does the, the national title pitcher look like if we have college football? Is it four? Is it eight? Uh, you know, elite yeah. eight? I mean, I mean, there's a big question. Well, I know we're in July, but they got to come up with if we're going to get bowl season, or or are we going to have a Final Four or a Elite Eight?
2: Yeah, you, you mentioned you talked to Feinbaum recently. I think mm-hmm. it was uh, about ten days ago in his show. I was I was talking about this. My, my opinion is that if they play college football this fall, they need to have an 18- team playoff. And, and I realize you know all the reasons up till now that they've avoided doing it. And and you know, truth be told there would have been no reason to do it this season until all of this happened. And, and I can go through a whole bunch of reasons why, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll give them to you here. One is, is that when the number of games decreases, and it certainly seems like it's going to across the board, when the sample size is smaller, it's tougher for the selection committee to be able to say with confidence, that this team is better than that team. And and so now it's not just that four is better than five. It could be it's tougher to say that three is better than six. And so there's a lot more guesswork when the sample size is smaller. And then on top of it, when you have at least two conferences in the Big Ten and Pac-12 and maybe all five of the power leagues end up playing conference games only, how can you say definitively that – a one-loss champion in this conference is better than a one-loss champion in that conference if there were no games played between them. If, if, there's, if there's nothing to base that assessment on, no evidence to base it on, if it's all based on assumption, um, based on previous seasons, I guess that would be what it would be based on, which, which is, is, is the direction you don't want to go. If there was ever a season that you would say that you should just put all five of those conference champions in automatically – it would be this one, because just, there aren't going to be that many games, if any, played in between these leagues as a basis for determining which champion is more deserving than another one. And so um, those are kind of two on-the-field reasons. The The off-the-field reason is, is simple, which is the, the economic impact of all this on college sports and athletic departments. They've already missed the one of the big paydays of the year which is the ncaa basketball tournament revenue um they obviously are taking a hit in football um if you have a reduced number of games if you have a reduced uh capacity for your stadium whether that's zero or or somewhere between a quarter and a third full you're losing a lot of revenue from ticket sales and all that uh and not to mention all the testing that's being done related to the virus that's not free that's a major expense that they're all incurring so they're losing money left and right. And, and as far as I'm aware, in all of college sports, there is one major untapped revenue source, and that's expansion of the college football playoff. And, and so it would seem that not just this year if they play, but moving forward starting next year, it's going to take years for these athletic departments to recover from the hit that they've taken in 2020. And, and so it makes too much sense to expand the playoff just because everyone needs the money and that's one thing that they can all agree on they all need the money whether they want to do it or not they need the money to replace all that they've lost so whether whether that happens this season or next season just because it it, it just becomes essential from a bottom line standpoint I, I think that the 18 playoff is going to come sooner rather than later
0: Brad, as always, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show, and I'm looking forward to whenever we get college football on the gridiron.
2: Yeah, can't wait to talk about some games. Let's, let's hope <laughs> yeah. that's sooner rather than later.
0: Brad Edwards from College Game Day on ESPN Radio, and also read him on ESPN.com with us for the summer of football right here on ESPN 1000.
1: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJhood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood.
2: First of all, Dusty Rhodes, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck goop That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But
1: I'm most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies. As always, I'll light the way, and all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is. In all my magnificent, you're gonna be mine.
0: All night long. Here's Jonathan Hood. It's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood with you on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Every Tuesday at 8.30, we give you something. Sports entertainment give you something. Pro wrestling. And tonight, our special guest is friend of the program, Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. You can go to ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Check out the website as we talk to Josh as we take a look at the latest pay-per-view for the WWE Extreme Rules taking place in the Performance Center in Orlando, also another show taking place for Impact Wrestling and with Slamversary. We'll review both of those right here on ESPN one thousand for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Hello, Josh. Goody, how are you doing, my man? Oh, you know, you know how I'm doing. Just trying to figure out The WWE, uh, every time that they're airing, just trying to figure things out. I want to get your thoughts initially about the horror show taking place for Extreme Rules this past Sunday. What what stood out most about the show?
3: You know how Kurt Bauer always says the world of professional wrestling never stops? Yes. I I think in the world of WWE, um, you could (laughs) – the term – Better discretion than valor could apply here because <laughs> I, I, whether it's a gimmicky pay per view or just a standardized pay per view like a battleground or something like that, I, I'm not really sure what people are expecting from these shows. <laughs> especially when you have matches like eye for an eye or whatever the situation is, kind of like you get you, you kind of put yourself in a corner. And it's kind of a lose-lose situation. So um, my main takeaway from the show on Sunday was even with the stipulations that were placed on this program, I thought the in-ring action for the most part was really good. And my favorite match of the show was the uh, WWE title match with uh, Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler.
0: Well, let me just go to the Eye for an Eye matchup because... On the surface, it sounds ridiculous, of course. The idea that Seth Rollins, uh, who has been a vocal point for the company for a long time, takes on Rey Mysterio, who's been a great baby face and a great wrestler for a long time. And so the collision course is, uh, for those that did not see it, and uh, we watched it so you wouldn't have to, Um, (laughs) Someone's someone's eye has to be gone. Someone has to remove an eye in order to have a victory. And it just it sounds ridiculous. And and it was the stipulations. But, you know, Josh, outside of that stipulation and uh, outside of the ending, uh, those two in the ring together mesh. They look good together.
3: Yes. uh, And and here's the thing. There's so many towns over here where they've been in these odd gimmicky matches where the matches the simulations kind of hinder what the overall performance is and it's kind of unfortunate because I thought Rollins, as you like to call him, Al Perez sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he had a tremendous match with Rey Mysterio and that could have been just a good standalone grudge match on the pay-per-view. But I guess the last thing thought and feeling over that match is just stipulation and how the match actually ended. I mean, again, like we were mentioning in the beginning of this uh, discussion, what what can you really do to get out of a eye for an eye match and not book it?
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. How about not book it? How about how about just it just being a grudge match? But just, just the, so for those that did not see it, Ray Mysterio fell short and he lost quote unquote an eye, which is just kind of uh, it's ridiculous. And it's also ridiculous for TMZ Sports to go online and put that up as a story like Ray Mysterio yeah. loses eye at extreme rules. It's like, I mean, how, how much the WWE had to pay to get that headline on TMZ? oh god <laughs>
3: that's another show for another time
0: <laughs> you know it's like buying the media they never put any money in my pocket to tell everybody that Rey Mysterio lost an eye against Seth Rollins but just I don't know that the in-ring action's fine but when you have stipulations like this apparently Vince McMahon saw in one of the edits of that match what it looks like when eyes removed and he decided uh we're not going to go in that direction well you guarantee an eye would be lost, and we never actually see an eyeball come out. So it's just so ridiculous. Um, uh, how about something that's better, and that is the matchup between Asuka and Sasha Banks? One right. thing for sure, Josh, is that Asuka, as well as Sasha Banks, will always give a maximum effort. Uh, and it's, it's about the personality on the outside of the match. But in the ring, boy, they, they really put on a nice show.
3: Oh, absolutely, and and sometimes I kind of feel like where I'm jaded, where I've seen so many similar matches, like just fast-paced counters, just no selling, this and that. When you have a match like Sasha and Asuka finish the side, I felt like they brought something different to the table from a women's wrestling perspective, and they really brought it on Sunday night.
0: Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com with Jonathan Hood on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Um, and and at, to your point that you mentioned on the Hoots Podcast, where you can follow Josh on Twitter at the Hoots Podcast, you've talked about this on your shows for a while now. You know, you can see that there, there's going to be a collision course between Sasha Banks and uh, Bailey, because they are a tag team uh, and they're best friends on the show. But you just kind of know that there's going to be an issue. But the point is, is that you keep bringing up is well. We've seen that match. What else can we see that's new when they do turn on one another? Yeah, you can't
3: pull a rug over us. And my biggest issue is the constant tease of this rivalry that just hasn't happened. And I'll give credit where credit's due. The in-ring portion is not my issue with Bailey and Sasha Banks. But I, me personally, Josh Lopez, the fan, and as a guy who covers the business, I can't take seriously that Bailey as a heel – And Sasha Banks as a babyface Or a gray area character Will have the same impact As far as their story and their rivalry Like they did in NXT That's my problem
0: yeah, so it you know, that makes sense. I just um but I, I really like that match and also the current WWE champion is Drew McIntyre. He took on Dolph Ziggler. So right. as as I was saying this morning as I was hosting Busted Open this morning on Sirius XM, I said and I've been saying on these shows, Josh, that you know, Dolph Ziggler is a terrific wrestler and the hybrid of you know, Shawn Michaels and Kurt Hennig in a lot of different ways, the way he's uh, as a performer. But the idea that Vince McMahon only sees Dolph Ziggler as a good hand or just a good wrestler that can get others over is very unfortunate um, because Dolph could do a lot more. When you see saw Dolph Ziggler or knew that this match was going to take place with him challenging for the championship, I'm sure you thought what I thought. And that is, oh, Dolph Ziggler's in the title picture. Well, he's not going to win because he never wins. <laughs>
3: Right, (laughs) exactly. Um, I'm in total agreement with you, especially what you said this morning on Busted Open. Uh, I mean, Stevie Wonder could figure out that Dolph Ziggler was not going to become the WWE champion. So (laughs) Uh, the match and the booking for that pay-per-view for that particular program hoodie, I understood why it happened. And sometimes you have a random... Title match on a pay-per-view like John Cena and R. True from Capital Punishment or something like that. But here's the guy who actually has backstory with Drew McIntyre. So, yes, on the surface, it's, it doesn't do anything for Drew McIntyre, it doesn't do anything for Dolph Ziggler. But I understood why they're having that match and why Ziggler was brought to Raw. He was just basically a pit stop for Drew McIntyre as he has into SummerSlam. But again, Here's the thing, I, when I was watching Extreme Rules I wasn't expecting it to be a show like SummerSlam, you have these shows throughout The year for a reason, so you're gonna Have some weird finishes, you're gonna Have maybe matches you think that wouldn't have A longer program after the, the Match, and and that's the Process of trying to figure it out the WWE Sometimes, cause like I, I don't feel like every pay-per-view they do is conclusive to the long-term story that they're trying to tell. And that could be good or bad, depending on how you view wrestling.
0: Yeah, I just, you know, it's I, I look at Drew McIntyre, and for him to take on Dolph Ziggler, because Drew's at a c- certain level, I don't right. see that Drew McIntyre says, boy, when I took on Dolph Ziggler, I took a took it up a notch. So, you know, I'm a better wrestler after taking on Dr- Dolph Ziggler. No, Drew McIntyre has already um, been around the world and has come back to the WWE and has looked better than he's ever looked. And Dolph Ziggler, right. he doesn't have bad matches. Um, he, I don't know what's going on in the back with him as far as if he's indifferent or doesn't mind losing these matches. But the point is that McIntyre and Ziggler is going to be a good match if you booked him 10 times out of 10. In. They're going to take on one another again on Monday Night Raw. It's going to be a great match. I don't, no matter what the stipulation is, but just the point is that it, it's it's a placeholder match for Ziggler to lose again, to in order for McIntyre to take on Randy Orton or whomever at SummerSlam, right?
3: Yes, it, it could be a, a Randy Orton. My question would be just from a Drew McIntyre point of view like who who else in the Raw roster outside of Randy Orton can really bring out the best of Drew McIntyre and I feel that there's been kind of a missed opportunity for Kevin Owens to be the real Kevin Owens again and have him as a heel so if it was up to me I'd probably have Kevin Owens be the next guy to go after Drew McIntyre since he doesn't have a current program right now on the show
0: Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. We ask you to go to the website. Uh, it's a, a great way to be able to catch up on wrestling shows that you might have missed. The archives are right there from NXT to AEW to MLW and uh, and many others. Check it out uh, at ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. dot com. Also, check out the podcast, the Hoots Podcast, wherever you download your podcast for Josh's show. Um, the Swamp Fight taking place uh, with Wyatt and Strowman. You know, I could have actually turned off Extreme Rules after McIntyre and Ziggler and said good night uh, and just skip the Swamp Fight. Uh, yeah. So, so, so it's it's part. If you do not see this, is Bray Wyatt against Braun Strowman, and it is. Uh, one of these cinematic fights where it takes place away from wrestling. It's in a swamp and they're wrestling in a swamp and there's no referee to count the pinfall. So I don't understand the point. <laughs> 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 What's the point of it, Josh? I didn't get it. Did you, could you explain to me what the swamp fight was?
3: I'll try my best. Here's the thing I took away from it, especially Extreme Rules as a whole. The entire show was Based on taking one thing to the next point, maybe with the exception of Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, like we were just talked about a couple but when it comes to like Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman and their beef on SmackDown, obviously the match wasn't for the Universal Title. We there wasn't a referee at the Swan fight, uh, at least from what I was watching. No, <laughs> we didn't. Know. We didn't know whether it was pitfall or submission. So once I heard the concept of the Swamp Fight, I knew right then it was going to be a no contest where you get a, a simmer flashback and a graphic of The Fiend to symbolize that The Fiend would go after Braun Strowman at a SummerSlam. So I kind of knew before the view that there was going to be an indecisive finish. Whether that was a good thing for Braun Strowman or Bray Wyatt, that's up to uh, your subjective taste, I guess. But I thought, from the visual aspect and the storytelling of what they did in the swamp fight, I thought was pretty cool. And the fact that they were able to have Alexa Bliss be the one to lure uh, Braun into the water and stuff—again, it, maybe it's not the taste for every single wrestling fan, but for what they were given, I thought
0: they made the best of it. Sure, um, it's it's just part of the pandemic era of wrestling that we're supposed to forget about. Um, right. So, and that's a question I, I want to talk to you about because. For those that have not been watching or just peeking here and there at the WWE or AEW uh, or Impact Wrestling, all these matches, all this wrestling, and a little bit of New Japan as fans start to come back to Japan a little bit. um, You know, Josh, this is a very odd time. Like, this is unprecedented. We have not... Even historians have not been able to cover a wrestling event with no fans on a regular basis. I mean, there's been bad shows and bad houses for some of the you know, wrestling companies that didn't draw well because of one, for one reason or another. But we're in a very unique time in the business of wrestling. So I want to get your thoughts on what you've seen so far with the pandemic era of wrestling with no fans, but yet the cameras are still rolling.
2: This is an
3: era and this has been an experience that I will not take for granted in my career right now because I understand the process of what the business is without fans. And I hope every wrestling company around the world understands and doesn't take the fans for granted once you're allowed to have fans back in the audience, back in these arenas, back in the stadiums, all the fun shows. And get that environment, get that energy, get that drive back into these professional wrestling shows. It's a a very different experience for people who are just watching the show for what it is without fans for someone like myself that covers the business definitely and trying to jot down the boost, it's a different process for me to learn how these performers not only tell their stories on the mic, but also how they have matches in front of 25 people or even 30 people at the tofu tailgate at Daly's place. You know, like mm-hmm. it's a different experience. What are we really basing our thoughts and our critiques on when it comes to these empty pandemic shows? Is it just the ratings? What, what's, what's really drawing from the empty arena show. Uh, We can't really base on who's being an effective draw as a champion when you're not allowed to have fans at these shows. So it's a very different experience that I'm not taking for granted. I've actually learned a lot uh, during this time period of covering the pandemic era of wrestling. And I, I, I have a deeper appreciation for the wrestlers who are able to have a match and make me forget that there is no fans there like so many times you'll tune out commentary depending on which promotion is you just want to focus on what's happening in the ring and the real i think right now we're really seeing who's the real good storytellers and who's not
1: (laughs) this is under the hood with jonathan hood hi everybody on espn 1000 chicago's home for sports You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
0: Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com with Jonathan Hood on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We talk about the uh, latest pay per view event for the WWE, the horror show Extreme Rules from Orlando. And before we talk about Slammiversary, another pay per view that took place on Saturday, I just want to get your thoughts on yesterday's Monday Night Raw uh right. wa- I watched Monday Night Raw uh, because I was on busted open this uh this morning and uh and you know me I'm just there for the usually the highlights. I'm not usually got the pen and pad there for 3 hours of this nonsense every Monday cuz I'm usually on the air against it. Nonetheless, uh I watched the show. And you know what Josh? I enjoyed the show. Um even though, you know, some of these uh fans on Twitter who don't know me like you know me? You know I'm someone who uh, will look at this business with a critical eye. I will give right. I will give praise when I need to. I will also. Um, look at things honestly. I'm not trying to prop up any one organization. No one's paying me to do it, so I, I right. know I know how it, what it looks like when it's done properly. I also know I can re- ref- reflect from the past and use the past to look at the present. Even in the sports entertainment era, it's still wrestling, no matter how what you look at it. But I I thought yesterday the men and women on that show put on a terrific performance. Now you know, as I said. Uh, As I've said before, it's something about wrestling where when it's in the ring, more times than not, it's going to deliver. But right. but all the stuff outside of it, like the booking or a bad finish here and there, or or things like or bad interviews or things that are not built properly, that hurts a wrestling company. But when you watch Raw last night, at least the way I saw it, I thought that from top to bottom, everyone worked as hard as they could coming off a pay per view, and that's what you want. I mean, that's traditional. Once you when you have a pay per view, the next night on Raw, you want to be able to put up put your best foot forward, and I thought. Uh, from the top of the card to the bottom of the card, I thought it, they really p- performed well.
3: You know, Adam Schechter has a great saying you know, there's only two sources that should lead you right, and that's your left and right eye. Yeah. And when and that's how I kind of approach pro wrestling. Like, I take in the context of the knowledge that I learned from people who actually do this for the, uh, for a living and listen to, like, an Eric Bischoff podcast or Grill and JR. Uh, the list goes on and on. But, when I was watching Raw last night, so many times, especially after like pay per views, you'll have some key talking points about what happened from the pay per view, but maybe like 40% of the show is filler. Like, to your point, I thought Raw last night, everything on the show had a purpose and a reason to be there. And there was long matches that had time to tell their stories. Like, I really enjoyed the Oscar Black Seth Rollins match and the post-match and You have the Hurt Business, which is probably my favorite thing on Monday Night Raw right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that group. Um, you have uh, what went down with Asuka and Sasha Banks following their controversy, and then you had a little imp- implementation from uh, Stephanie McMahon. Nice to see her in 2020. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought everything flew well for what it was supposed to be after a pay-per-view, like you said. And then my, again, my favorite, point, my favorite part of the show that really stood out to me was the stuff that went down with Randy Orton and Big Show. Uh, I think from a storytelling point of view and just in ring content, I don't think there's a wrestler right now in this quarantine era of pro wrestling that's really maximized their character the most in Randy Orton. And hearing Big Show's promo before their match last night, uh, I didn't think they needed the, the unsanctioned uh, gimmick hoodie. I didn't think they needed that. But for what... Big Show and Randy Orton did last night? Dallas Pro Wrestling.
0: Do you believe that this is one of the last matches which we'll ever see from Big Show?
3: No, just like I don't believe we saw Undertaker's last match.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. That, I just, I don't. Yeah, that's fair. And I thought that Big Show really worked well with Randy Orton. This is the best Randy Orton I've seen in a long time. It's not. Just, you know, walking through, color by numbers, four or five moves, Randy Orton. There is, uh, I thought his promo and Big Show's promo to build this, have Christian there to build that. That's wrestling. That's pro wrestling done right, where you're taking the time to be able to explain why this main event at the end of the of the night is something special that you must watch. And so the, the interviews hooked me. Well, how about that? How about that for a, a switch, Josh? Actual pro wrestling show. Using yeah. you, using the spoken word, looking me in the eye, telling me the story of why this match matters, and then the match delivers, and then Randy Orton wins. That's the way the story should be every single time you watch a wrestling show. Uh, unfortunately, that's not what we get all the time. Um so I uh, want to get your thoughts about Slammerversary. That was Impact Wrestling's uh, last pay-per-view uh, here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. Our guest is Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Follow him on Twitter at The Hoots Podcast. Uh, well, let me get your thoughts on Slammerversary. What stood out most about uh, what happened there on Saturday?
3: What stood out to me was the fact that Impact Wrestling was able to maximize out of the buzz that was actually going into pay-per-view. Uh, this is a company that's been having hype and having big signings over the years, but never seemed to follow up with the hype that surrounds their shows. I've been an Impact fan since the beginning in 2002, the TNA era, to where we are right now with Impact Wrestling. And there's been so many changes that I'm hoping this is the flashpoint to where Impact can just be Impact and we just not worry about You know, corporate shenanigans, backstage issues. We can just focus on wrestling because they have a really talented roster. Even with the new additions to their roster, hoodie. I just thought Impact really capitalized in the buzz that they were having into their pay per view on
2: Saturday night.
0: Uh, Eddie Edwards becomes the champion, and the reason why that there was um, the the match that was for the heavyweight championship is because Tessa Blanchard is no longer with Impact Wrestling. So I think. The company and um, who else is missing? I'm missing someone. Michael Elgin? Michael Elgin, the Canadian, yeah. So both of those guys are no longer part of the company. So there was a little bit of a mad scramble there to try to put that main event together, but that seemed to pay off for Eddie Edwards as the champion. That, That makes sense to me.
3: Uh, Absolutely, and Eddie Edwards has been the most consistent performer on the Impact roster. Uh, I mean, it's been almost past six years now since Eddie's been part of uh, Impact, and could happen to a better guy. I, I do believe Eddie Edwards does represent what Impact
0: Wrestling is. I'd also tell you that one of the best tag teams in wrestling is the North. That's also part of that. I don't think we've seen the best of them just as of yet, but I'd like to see an FTR North match. That would be great.
3: I believe outside of Imperium, the North are the most underrated and underappreciated tag team in pro wrestling right now.
0: Where's the column on that? I want 2,000 words on the North. Where's the column? (laughs) I want to read that. Is that true? Do you think that?
3: You know what? I really try to strive away from not doing kind of the cliche opinions and dirt sheet stuff on my website because I just like to have some authenticity with what I dish out to my audience. So uh, when it comes to North, maybe I could bounce out an opinion piece because they deserve it. I... When it comes to tag book, textbook tag team wrestling, they're they're great. Ethan Page is a good heel. Josh Alexander is a great wrestler. I actually saw them when they were the Monster Mafia for AAW here in Chicago before they got into the mainstream. And I'm just really happy for their success.
0: They're a tremendous tag team. That's right, folks. Look for a 2,000-word column on Willie Mac on ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com <laughs> very soon. If you, uh, if you go to ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com, Josh, what would you find?
3: You'll find literally every transit... Possible that I could fit in 12 wrestling shows throughout the week for you, lovely people. Um, whether it's AEW, both AEW Dark and Dynamite, uh, I just finished covering the New Japan Cup for New Japan Pro Wrestling and just uh, follow, along, follow along with their program. They have a pay per view coming up on Saturday called Sengoku Lord. And uh, kind of the big buzz out of their promotion is Evil, who used to be part of LIJ's not only the double champion, but joined Bullet Club and turned his back on LIJ. So been busy on the new japan tip and also uh checking out everything that's going on with impact wrestling and all the ancillary wwe shows that are out there so uh pro wrestling is my hub this is a reference site and a point of reference for any wrestling fans who don't have the time to catch up with all the pro wrestling shows out there
0: all right and don't forget to follow josh on twitter at the hoots podcast Uh, That's where you can find his podcast and his thoughts on the world of wrestling. Don't forget, we do Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday every Tuesday at 8.30 Central Time right here on ESPN 1000. And if you missed some of our previous episodes, go to the ESPN Chicago app and click uh, the Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday tab. And right there you can catch the archives of our previous shows. Our thanks to you for listening and being part of the program here on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Don't forget, full show coming up on Wednesday, starting with the baseball show presented by Goose Island Beer Company. Join me for TBS at 6 right here on Chicago's Home for Sports. This is Under the Hood
1: with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's Home for Sports. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000, Chicago's Home for Sports.